Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Dire consequences are in store for California, says Governor Gavin Newsom, if the feds don't come through with a massive bailout for states and local governments. Budget cuts could include layoffs to some of the state's most important workers. The next time they want to salute and celebrate our heroes, our first responders, our police officers and firefighters, uh, consider uh, the fact that they are the first ones to be laid off by cities and counties. Uh, the folks that are out there, the true heroes of this pandemic, are healthcare workers and nurses. Uh, those county health systems have been ravaged. Their budgets have been devastated and depleted. The budget counts depleted since this pandemic. They're the first ones uh, to be laid off. That's Newsom speaking to CNN's Jake Tapper yesterday as part of a campaign to get Congress to send a trillion dollars in funding to state and local governments dealing with the financial consequences of the pandemic. Newsom also said California's $54 billion budget deficit is the result of the coronavirus pandemic, and the state was making good progress toward paying off its debts and pension obligations until COVID-19 hit. Later this morning, a tribal casino in San Diego County will open its doors for the first time since gambling in California shut down for the coronavirus. Viejas Casino and Resort will be the first casino to reopen in the state. This comes despite objections from Governor Newsom and local public health officials who say it's still way too early to open entertainment venues. The casino's management says strict social distancing measures will be enforced and everyone will be required to wear masks. In a video posted online, Vieja says it's also using ultraviolet technology to regularly sanitize the casino. Also starting today, undocumented Californians affected by the pandemic can get financial assistance through a $125 million fund set up by the state and philanthropic groups. KQED's Farida Giovala Romero reports. An estimated one in three undocumented workers labor in industries devastated by the pandemic, like restaurants. But even if they pay taxes, they can't get unemployment benefits or federal stimulus checks because of their immigration status. Luis Perez with the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights, or CHIRLA, says he's expecting a flood of calls from people keen to apply for California's new coronavirus disaster relief assistance for immigrants. It's not just people who lost their jobs or got their hours cut. It's any extra expenses of lots of wages that people suffer because of COVID-19. To apply, people will need to contact one of 12 nonprofits like Chirla selected by the state to distribute the one-time grant of $500 per person. In Los Angeles County, with the state's largest undocumented population, Perez says the fund is expected to help 40,000 people. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. 
California hospitals are disappointed that Governor Gavin Newsom's new state spending proposal doesn't include any financial support for them. The hospitals say without more help, they won't be ready for a possible second wave of COVID-19 this fall. CAP Radio's Sammy Kayola has that story. After two slow business months, hospitals say they need a boost. Erica Murray directs the California Association of Public Hospitals and Health Systems. They cleared out their spaces, both clinical and non-clinical, to expand their capacity for surge. The public health care systems developed their own abilities, in some cases, for testing. All of those things have had a huge impact to public health care systems financially. Newsom turned down hospitals' request for $4 billion to help with staff and equipment needed to both treat COVID-19 and see regular patients long term. The federal government did give hospitals and clinics $5.3 billion, but the California Hospital Association says it's not enough. Next, they plan to ask the legislature for support. For The California Report, I'm Sammy Kayola. Psychologists are warning that the coronavirus pandemic could soon be followed by a mental health crisis. But the governor is proposing making cuts to funding for mental health services for new moms. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski explains. About half the women who give birth in California are covered by the state's Medi-Cal program. But that coverage only lasts until their baby is six weeks old. Doctors got frustrated. If new moms showed signs of postpartum depression or anxiety, there was nothing they could do to help. So they were left in a precarious position to not be able to treat the disorder that they were identifying. Women's health advocate Joy Burkhardt said last year, Governor Gavin Newsom changed that. Women diagnosed with a maternal mental health disorder could stay on Medi-Cal for up to 12 months to get treated. But now he's taking it back. Nothing breaks my heart more than making budget cuts. Because one thing I know about cuts, there's a human being behind every single number. New moms living in poverty are at increased risk for postpartum depression. And now Burkhart says they won't have access to the services they need. What we're seeing is a further divide in health disparities here rather than a reduction. Doctors groups are urging the governor to reconsider the cut. They point to recent research findings that all pregnancy-related suicides and unintentional drug overdoses were preventable, as long as women got help. For the California Report, I'm April Dimboski. On just about any street in California these days, people have stories to tell about how they're struggling to survive the coronavirus pandemic. Here at the California Report, from time to time, we're going to check in with people along Los Angeles County's Atlantic Boulevard. More than 20 miles long, Atlantic cuts through a variety of hard-scrabble, blue-collar communities like Cudahy, Maywood, Southgate, and North Long Beach. And that's where I met Lena Dorr. Is this your store, ma'am? Yes, sir. She owns a small hip-hop clothing store in North Long Beach. When we talked, Dorr was putting up a sidewalk display for new kinds of merchandise she's selling. So this morning I'm setting up, as I do every morning, um, we sell face masks, hand sanitizer, gloves, bandanas, essential products, you know, in order to help keep my store open. And why? Why start doing that versus just staying closed completely? Because I, uh, I'm a business owner. I have to pay the rent on my building. I do not own it. I didn't uh, qualify. Well, I applied for five different loans. I'm, I'm pretty sure I qualify because I have good credit. I own a home. But I didn't receive any of the loans that I applied for. So in order to pay the rent on this building, you know, I had to do something to keep the doors open 
and so I wouldn't be in debt. Because right now I have good credit. I'm trying to keep it good. <laughs> so. And by selling a mask, you become like an essential so business. I called my district and um, your council person. Yeah, my council person in, in, in my my district, and they said you're a small business, and if you have bandanas, face coverings, and things of that nature you will be able to stay open. I haven't had a problem. I haven't had any inspectors come by. I haven't had the police come and say, hey, you need to shut down. No one enters my store. Everything is curbside. We put everything on the window here so they can see what their options are. We get it. We give it to them outside. We pay outside. I even have a swiper if they have to use their card. Everything is done outside. So this is you kind of trying to make some lemonade out of lemons, really? All I'm trying to do is not be in debt while this coronavirus is going on. This is my only job. I'm a small business owner. I don't have a regular 9 to 5, and the bills on this place have to be paid. The lights, the gas, the insurance. That doesn't stop. Pandemic or no pandemic. None of that has stopped. None of it. And what's happening, like, with merchants just in, like on this one block, for instance. So Waba Grill closed down. They never came back open. You can see the... Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the closed the tape is on the, the drive through sign. Next to the postal service, there was a Spanish um, drinks uh, and ice cream and things like that. Right. They closed down, and then the nail shop has been closed. The Boost Mobile store closed down. They, they're, they're out of there. And all of this in the last uh, two months? And in the last two months. We've had one, two, three, four stores closed in the last two months. All right, Lena, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You have a good day. Clothing store owner turned mask seller Lena Dorr, a small business owner on Atlantic Boulevard. Smartphones, if combined with the right app, could be a powerful tool in tracing the spread of the coronavirus and warning people about possible exposure. Many local governments, including San Diego County, are seriously considering using these apps to track potential COVID-19 cases. But as KPBS investigative reporter Claire Trageser reports, that, no surprise, raises privacy concerns. The way I see it is more like, yeah, this is a responsibility. Marianne Erickson lives in downtown San Diego and says she would happily use a contact tracing app on her phone. If the government really wanted to track me, they could. And in this case, I see it more as they're tracking because it's going to help all of us. But not everyone agrees. Nope. (laughs) I, I, I would not. Khaled Alexander lives in southeast San Diego. For me, it's like combining the two things that I kind of distrust the most government and technology. Tracking infected people to see who they've been in contact with will likely be a crucial component to reopening society. And some governments are counting on using smartphones to do a lot of this work for them. But it's far from certain whether the number of users that would be needed to make the technology effective will agree to use them. In a recent Washington Post poll, 40% of Americans said they are either unable or unwilling to use contact tracing apps. If the non-compliance rate ends up being this high, the apps won't work. Still, San Diego County is considering using them, as is the state of California. All of the apps which operate on technology from Google and Apple would likely use Bluetooth, not GPS, to trace exposure. Then, if you have tested positive, it's up to you to share that information. It's crazy. 
Stuart Baker was the head of policy for the Department of Homeland Security and also managed HIV and SARS outbreaks. When you find you have been infected and it comes time to send that notice, well, for the selfish person, you kind of say, well, what do I get out of that? So a lot of people could just say no. I'm just not sure we should give people that option. In fact, Baker thinks the government should make the apps mandatory. Two months ago, if you had said, do you think the government should be able to tell you to stay home? lose your job and never leave the house for a month, Uh, we would never do that. And now we're accepting it, more or less, uh, because the alternative is worse. But Adam Schwartz, a senior lawyer at the privacy organization Electronic Frontier Foundation, says that's a false equivalency. There is a tendency in moments like this to say Silicon Valley, uh, nerd harder and come up with the magic app that is going to save us from this situation. The problem, he says, is if the apps violate privacy. He also has concerns about groups abusing the technology. Here we are two decades after the 9-11 attacks, and the NSA Internet spying program is very much still in place. That resonates with Khaled Alexander. We're not far off from when, you know, we'd have FBI surveillance and people going into mosques and following and harassing Muslims for no other reason than than being Muslim. And even if contact tracing data isn't misused, if enough people think like Alexander and won't install the technology, then it won't work. For The California Report, I'm Claire Tregesser in San Diego. And that is the California Report for Monday, May 18th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Have a great day, stay safe, and wear your masks if you're starting to venture out. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love 
while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 